So for those who've been here for the last few weeks, you know that we're thinking of journeys, the journeys that we go on, uh, or journeys that Jesus went on, uh, calling of the disciples, journeys that take us into different places, and uh, the people that we meet along the way, and the way in which God works in them. And in that sense, we're going to look at miracles on the way, amazing miracle that happened in uh, the passage that Hazel read for us today. But I want to start by telling you a story. Uh, this story is a fairy story, and I'm going to uh, share it with you. And as all fairy stories should, this one starts once upon a time. Once upon a time, there was a king. And this king, when he was born, had a very magical blessing put on him. That one day a year, he could go amongst his loyal subjects and give whatever anybody wanted. Now the king was a generous king, but only really went down amongst his people that one day a year. It was that day. There was much excitement in the town, for they knew that when the king came down, he could give them whatever they wanted. The king walked a long way. And people were shouting and trying to make his attention. And he saw a man lying there who was unable to walk. And the king said to him, Sir, do you want to get well? And the man replied, Yes. And on that day, because of the magic that the king possessed, the man was able to walk. And they all lived happily ever after. Do you see some parallels with the Bible story today? And that's the problem. The problem is that sometimes we think of miracles as a fairy tale, as a wonderful story in which we see a magical Jesus do something uh, hocus pocus and things are changed. And the danger is that we live in that place of thinking that Jesus was just a street artist or that the miracles are just a lovely fairy story. But miracles are not fairy stories. They are a rearranging of the norm. Rearranging of the normal things that we'd expect. God coming and interceding in, in what we think is going to happen and doing something amazingly different. Rearranging of the norm. Now, we've kind of experienced that already this morning. You may not have noticed it. Um, if I was to start saying one, two, three, what would come next? Four. Not in our reading today. If you look in your Bibles, you haven't got a verse four. Um, verse four is not there unless you're using the King James Version. Uh, because some of the early manuscripts do not include verse four, which is where in the story an angel is said to come down and stir the, the pool. But already we see that in this passage today, something of the norm has been rearranged. Miracles, rearranging what we expect in the normal. Now, this week, there's been, or these last few days, there's been much discussion in the Parkman household, I have to tell you. The discussion mainly came from Michelle, who was going to lead Fusion, but for anyone here this morning, uh, lead Fusion, basically saying, why on earth did you choose that passage, Tim? Why? W what, what point is there telling me how wrong I was? Um, she said he could have chosen a, a million different passages, but why this one? 
Because it's not simple. It's not easy. And I'll come back to that, why, as we journey through, why we chose this passage today. But in the passage itself, we have lots going on, some that we may not be aware of. You know, we're in the book of John. And for those who don't know, John is that kind of uh, book in the Bible that you think you understand what it's saying. And then all of a sudden, another layer happens. And you see there's lots of layers that build up, all of them pointing to show the kingdom of heaven, what God was going to do. But why this particular man? Well, some commentators will say that what we have going on here is, yes, an account of a miracle, but also a story of the people of Israel. If we think of that man as Israel itself, we heard of five pillars that are around the water, the five pillars of the law that the Jews would have stood by. The man had been lame for 38 years, the same amount of time that the people of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness. And then what does the man do? He goes into the water, a symbol of baptism, of new life. So as we read these passages and we think, well, we, we understand what they mean. Actually, there's many different things going on. There's deeper lessons that we have to understand. And Jesus' question at this man might seem very strange. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Well, imagine if Jesus asked the same question of us. We go, yes. Yes, I, I want the things that I'm expecting just to change and things to be good again. I want the weight of the pressure I'm feeling to just be lifted. I want the pain that I'm living in day by day to be lifted. But what we don't quite grasp today is that this is a huge question for this man. Because Jesus, yes, is asking, do you want to be healed? But in him being healed, his livelihood goes. His livelihood would have been with the other lame men and women sat around begging for the scraps of, of um, coins or food to live by. And so when Jesus asking this question to the man, he is saying, do you want your life to be changed? Do you want it to be transformed in a way that you're going to have to go out and find a job? That you're going to bring something to society? And it won't just be sat there begging. So actually, it doesn't seem such a strange question anymore, does it? Because the man could have quite easily said, actually, I'm quite happy staying here, begging, and feeding my family and myself that way. In 1993, a group of uh, Fran Franciscan nuns uh, in the communist part of the world opened uh, the dungeons and the underneath when it was in communist rule uh, to, a to be a hotel. They did very little work to it. And what they found was that people enjoyed staying for a few nights in what was basically a comfortable prison cell. And that man that Jesus asked might have been quite happy staying in a comfortable prison cell. I'm trapped. It's difficult. But I don't want to change. I want things to stay as they are. I don't feel like I need to do anything different. And it comes back to that word change, doesn't it? Change. Who likes change? We all like things to stay 
exactly the same. And change is, when people say, can we change? The question, the answer is, I can't change. I can't. J.B. Phillips wrote a book, say, called, and it was titled, Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. Because if we believe that God can change the norm, the things that we expect, that actually what we expect to happen next might change beyond all recognition, because our God is a big God. We could sing a song about that, couldn't we? Our God is a great big God. But if God can change the expectations of someone who thought that for the rest of their life they were going to be begging and able to do anything, then why God can't change us now? You know, many people say to me, and say in different ways, why don't we see miracles now? Why don't we see the kind of miracles that we see in the Bible now? Well, friends, I think we do, but we just expect the miracles to happen in the way we expect them to be. You know, when we're praying with people, do we... I remember my previous church, we used to have what we call our prayers of healing and wholeness, which is at the end of the communion service, uh, people would come to the front row and we'd have a microphone and we'd pray out loud. And I always used to dread it. Because you're in this quandary, aren't you? you know, do I say to someone, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk, because you haven't stood up for five years. And if they don't do it, you kind of go, oh, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Have we lost faith? But at the same time, are we so busy looking for the big miracles that we miss the small miracles in the way? The way that God is changing people. The way that actually the norm is not happening anymore because God has infected someone in an amazing way and they've changed. And yet we're still going, God, where's the big miracle of manna from heaven? And God's going, look down. Look down at what's going on around you. And to be honest, this guy doesn't seem very grateful, does he? <laughs> he dobs Jesus in. Now, Jesus has quite a strong word to say with him, doesn't he? Stop sinning, or something worse might happen. Now, it almost sounds as if Jesus is trying to put a curse on him, doesn't it? But it's not that. I think he's saying, if you are letting sin get in the way of your life, then don't worry about not walking, but your eternal salvation is going to come into question. That's why he's saying it. You've been healed. Now sort out the rubbish in your life. Otherwise something worse is going to happen. That's what Jesus is saying to him. And you just imagine this man who's got his mat, he's walking and he's going, whoa, hang on a minute. And he goes and dobs Jesus into the religious authorities. Now, when we look at the, the whole discussion, we can't really blame him, though, if we're honest. Because the religious leaders all of a sudden are putting an accusation against Jesus which is punishable by death the religious leader said so hang on a minute this guy came along on the Sabbath and worked so that you couldn't be healed he worked on the Sabbath who is it tell us because if you don't tell us your conspiracy to a, a punishment for death now we can read it very simply in our Bible going in and the man went and said, oh yes, it's Jesus. But the man probably was fearful. I could be killed because of what Jesus has done for me. I better tell them. And so we start to see the plot that happens towards 
Jesus died on the cross. So the miracle is sub subserv subversive. I knew I was going to get that wrong, word wrong. The miracle is not just a happy, oh, it's lovely, it's wonderful, isn't it? It broke right into the difficulties and right into the insecurities of the religious leaders of the time. The changing of the norm caused both danger and healing. And that's why it's not a fairy tale. We don't get at the end of this passage, and they all lived happily ever after. Because we know that for Jesus, although ultimately it ended in victory, it was pain. We imagine for the man that it wasn't a happy ever after. He had to go and work, go and feed the family, go and live with the understanding that he stopped, he's told on Jesus. We know for us living here, as we are the continuation of this story, there is not a happily ever after. We believe that ultimately Christ rules, reigns and has the victory. But we live in the pain. And I suppose going back to Michelle's question at the very beginning, and I see she didn't want to stay for my sermon anyway, so there you go. Why that passage? You know, we could have had the passage of the four friends helping their friend through the roof. You know, the friends had the expectation that Jesus could do something. But in this passage, there is no expectation at all. The man went to the, the, the water knowing he had no friends to carry him, carry him in. Knowing that he would be watching someone else walking in and being healed. Jesus comes along and changes the expectation. In the journey of that man's life, the norm, the expectation of what he expected was changed because of Jesus. Do we expect the norms to change? As you look at this week ahead, you might go, well, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. But do we expect God to come and intercede in our life? To change things? It might be that we prayed for something to happen for years and years and years and we were at the stage now we're going, what's the point of praying? What's the point of doing it anymore? And yet this passage reminds us that when we get to those stages of going, we know what's going to happen. Jesus goes, you don't got something different. Do we expect God to work outside the box that we've put him in? So easily, that passage from that book by J.P. Phillips and the title, Your God is Too Small, I've not read it, but I think it's a great title. <laughs> Do we expect God to be small? That God can only work in certain ways. You know, the people we encounter on the journey the people we encounter week by week in church, the people we encounter in our workplaces, in our homes, the friends, who may not <coughs> have any expectation of God working. Do we believe? And do we expect God to work? Sometimes life 
is full of disappointments. Trust me, I watched Plymouth Park Girl play yesterday. <laughs> Sometimes life is full of pain and suffering, and we just can't see God working at all. Put yourself in the place of this man at the pool. We don't know, but it's possible that for 38 years he'd been sat at that pool. 38 years, day by day, there begging, asking for money. I imagine he had lost all hope. And yet, <coughs> it wasn't his faith in one sense. It was Jesus, an encounter with Jesus, that made it happen. What's our challenge then? Well, our challenge, I think, is very practical in one sense as well. And I'm putting my, my head out on the neck here. Because, um, well, let's, let's give you a little story, not a fairy tale this time, but a story of myself, Jeff, and Malcolm for a while. Yesterday, going on the streets of Saltash and offering prayer to people. Now, I'll be honest, when me and Jeff spoke on Thursday evening about it, both of us were going... We'd rather not do this if we're perfectly deaf, won't we? We're going Saturday after men's breakfast. We probably could think of better things that we could be doing or things that we'd feel more comfortable with doing. For both of us, we were like, well, what's going to happen? And so we, we drove up in Jeff's car, got out the blackboard, got out a banner, carried some chairs, it looked like we were going, I don't know where we were going, and carrying up 4th Street, and plonked ourselves out of an empty shop, which Malcolm pointed out was right outside a funeral directors, which probably um, <laughs> you know, might have put the fear of God into some people. <laughs> and we stood there, and we encountered, we reckon nearly, well, let me put this, we encountered to say hello and to greet nearly 100 people yesterday. Um, there were people who did stop, people we do not know, and asked for prayer. Uh, there were people who we know that we chatted with. Um, there were cars driving past and because of the traffic in 4th Street were stopping and were looking. And I think Jeff and I and Malcolm, we felt good, didn't we, Jeff? Oh, this is great. To be honest, by the time we were getting a bit cold, but by the time uh, quarter to 12 came, we were ready to, we were cold, but we could have stayed there longer. If it was a sunny day, I think we probably would have stayed there longer because people were willing to engage. One guy, while he was on his jog, uh, ran past us and did the sign of the cross at us. But he wasn't doing it in a mocking way. You could just tell. He smiled a sincere smile as he did it. Someone, and we'll do some prayers in a minute, friends from other churches walked by and said, could you pray for my husband? Or, you know, this at the moment. And do you know what? I just felt a sense of going, that's where we need to encounter people. That's where we need to be. We've got to journey out. We've got to journey out. We've got the, the uh, shop in 4th Street hopefully happening in the new year. But I was challenged yesterday, and I'm going to put a challenge to you now, and you may not like this challenge, so I apologise. But me and Jeff spoke and said, do you know what? It's not going to be worth doing this if we're just doing it on a one-off. We need to do this weekly. We need to be offering prayer to people on the streets weekly. And if we're going to do that, 
we need a team of people. I'm going to send around a sign-up list now. It's got 16 spaces on it. If I can fill, if we can fill all 16 of them, we offer training. And Jeff, it wasn't scary at all, was it? People were really wanting to kind of just smile and say hello and, and to be offered prayer. But I want to come back to that man on, in, in the hill where he said, he could have quite easily said, I can't change. I'm so easy. And you might be sat there going, oh, I can't, can't be doing that. And that might be the case, you can't. And that's fine. There might be one or two of us that go, actually, we can. And we should be. So I'm going to send a sign-up sheet round. And I, you know, I'm going to start with Graham. Graham, you don't need to write your name. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, no pressure. You know, if we get 16 people, it's all right, Graham, there's no pressure, seriously. Um, yeah, send a press. If we can get 16 people, it means that for one hour, we're asking people for one or two hours a month. But do you know what? To, for people to see a Christian presence in the town centre. The people, we weren't there with our Bible, going, repent, repent. We were just there smiling at people. And people smiled back. And they said, hello. And they asked, what are you doing? It was amazing. And I'm I was just challenged, really challenged, that as we journey together on this, this journey of life, we can so easily just stay as that man might have wanted to for 38 years, saying God can't do anything different. But when we're willing to get outside the building, when we're willing to be in the street and to offer prayer to people, we might just see, start to see God changing the norm. God changing our expectations of what he can do. Do we expect the norms to change? Do you know what? It's not a question of faith. It's not a question of saying, have I got enough faith to do it? It's not on us. But we need to be there to encounter people, to show them that God can work in miraculous ways. Look around you, not now necessarily, but when you're in your week, day to day, look around. Look around and find and seek those people that were like that man by the pool, who are just trapped in a continual motion. Trapped. And just ask that question, can God break into that and change the norm? Look around at family members, friends, situations that you're involved in, that you almost expect the same thing to happen. And to say, can God change this and break the norm? Friends, we believe in a God who is not too small. We believe in a God who can change things. Change things so powerfully that we can't recognise them. We need to be willing to listen to what he's saying. So is our God too small? Or is our God the God who can change lives, who can heal people? Because that is the same God that we read of today. Not a fairy tale, but a reality that we live.